We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, everybody? Welcome uh, to Chargers Analytics with Arjun. We're back for the first time uh, in a, quite a while. Obviously, like I said yesterday, you know, conflicting schedules between Arjun and I. Obviously, not having uh, full access to internet made it a little complicated. But uh, we're back for the home stretch of the season. Arjun, thanks for uh, taking the time to join me today. How are you doing? Doing good, honestly. I'm glad I missed the games I missed because we missed the Chiefs, the 49ers, like games where it was going to be tough for me to be uh, super like optimistic and and like honestly have like great takeaways from the scouting report just because those teams are great teams. But happy to be back home stretch playoffs well within reach. Yeah, you know, um, we can certainly talk about playoff odds and things like that at some point. I mean, obviously. Uh, you know, the Chargers will get a lot of clarity if they are able to win this week and the Jets are able to to lose like they should against the, the Minnesota Vikings. So, um, you know, the playoff picture is becoming clearer by the week. And um, uh, I'm curious to see, you know, this week, like I said, very pivotal week for the, the Chargers playoff chances have to absolutely get a win uh, against the Raiders. So, um, you know, for those who are unfamiliar, if this is your first time tuning in for uh, Chargers Analytics with Arjun, we are going to take a uh, a different data-driven perspective of the Chargers and Raiders matchup. We'll also have some other conversations as well, but um, just a really unique insight into what somebody like Arjun would do for the Chargers or for the Raiders and say, "Hey, like this is what happened. This is what is happening on a week-to-week basis. This is what happened has happened on the season." Um, and we'll have, uh, uh, like I said, a good conversation in that regard. 
Um, first and foremost, you know, we do have uh, some more injury injury clarity, um, unfortunately, as we always do uh, <laughs> on Thursday afternoon. So um, really the big ones for the Chargers, it looks like Corey Lindsley and Mike Williams uh, will not be playing this week, uh, you know, at minimum. Potentially, Trey Pipkins has a chance, according to Brandon Staley, as of yesterday, uh, but he did not practice this week. So, uh, unfortunate timing to have some uh, offensive line injuries. Uh, feels very similar to like the 49ers game in that regard. Uh, and then Mike Williams does seem like he's a week away officially, like we, we keep on talking about. So, uh, Arjun, in terms of these injuries, you know, you have, have kind of talked about the difference between the Chargers offensive performance with and without Corey Lindsley, just how big of a loss is he if he is unable to play this weekend? Yeah, it's, it's definitely very big. Um, you know, our friend John uh, goes by at MIBPJ2 on Twitter, did some calculations for us. It's not fully updated, but I, I would assume it's pretty close. So um, in 2022, when Corey Lindsley's in the lineup and playing, the Chargers have had an EPA per play of 0.14, which is pretty good. One of, you know, makes them one of the better offenses in the league without him it drops to negative 0.21 which is awful which makes them the worst offense in the league um you know the the other part is the chargers so you know we can look at a stat like like quick pressure which means um when justin herbert has been pressured in under 2.5 seconds that's considered a quick pressure so in general, Justin Herbert's been pressured in 2.5 seconds or less on 28% of his dropbacks, which is first in the NFL. But when you break it down by Corey Lindsley on the field and off, the he's you know the, the Herbert has been pressured under 2.5 seconds in tw at, on 24% of his dropbacks with Corey Lindsley, as compared to 36% without Corey Lindsley. So you can kind of see that split. A 12% difference is significant, and you know. I, the Raiders don't have a, a good pass rush at all. They, they're in the bottom eight in terms of pressure rate. And I, I would love to see Corey Lindsley come back for the Dolphins because the Dolphins are going to throw every type of front, set, front seven look, mugged look, sim pressured look that you can see in the NFL. But it definitely hurts the Chargers when he's off the field. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think if you're looking at the Chargers' upcoming schedule, right, like you you would feel awful about not having Corey Lindsley next week against the Dolphins yeah. or the week after that against the the Tennessee Titans, who do also do a lot of simulated pressures. They obviously have some great talent as well, you know, in Jeffrey Simmons, Zaniko Autry, players like that. So um, if there were a game that he was going to miss, I think you would obviously pick this one against the Raiders. So, um, you know, Will Clapp, I think, has been fine in a vacuum, but um, you know, it's just a, a huge difference as Arjun just laid out without Corey Lindsley. Uh, vote him to the Pro Bowl, if you would. Uh, he just absolutely deserves it. So um, in terms of Mike Williams, I'm curious to get your thoughts here because we, we've we seen, I think it's the numbers like 27 pass attempts with Keenan Allen and Mike Williams on the same field together. Um, when Mike Williams does come back, how do you think this offensive target share kind of pans out now that we've seen kind of Josh Palmer emerge and uh, obviously Keenan back to his usual target share. Um, what do you think this looks like next week going forward with, with Mike Williams back theoretically in the fold? Yeah. I mean, him, him being back against the dolphins, I think won't be as big of a difference as think, I think as people think just cause the dolphins play a ton of man and it's not like Mike Williams separates versus man. 
Um, and, you know, it's not like Williams had that great of a game in 2020 either versus the Dolphins, which are pretty much running the same cornerback duo of, of Xavier Howard and Byron Jones. I just think I just think Williams opens up the field, especially in the red zone where the Chargers have struggled for most of the season. Um, it, it's definitely going to go be going. It's going to definitely go back to being Keenan as wide receiver one. Williams two, Palmer three, but I've been pleasantly surprised by Josh Palmer, who's kind of outperformed any expectations I had for him before the season and after coming back from his uh, second concussion of the season. Um, I thought he stepped up big time in, in multiple games now, and he's definitely a, a key part of the team for the stretch run. And if, if he can really act as a true wide receiver three and give Herbert pretty much a full arsenal of weapons to throw to, I definitely think, uh, I definitely feel more confident about the Chargers uh, for the final five or six games of the season. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we wish we would have had uh, more of a uh, of more evidence with these with these three on the field at the same time this year. But um, you know, as long as Mike Williams can come back and line up, stay healthy, and and really like do what he does, right? Because I, I think you know, just the the first jump ball possible, he just reaggravates it. Obviously, that's not what you want to see out of Mike Williams when he does come back. So, um, curious to see when that ultimately does end up happening. All right, Arjun, uh, let's get to this uh, presentation you have prepared. We'll, go, Of course, like I mentioned, we'll go over some specifics to the Chargers, to the Raiders, and you know, dive into this matchup from a, a data-driven uh, perspective. So um, you know, I'll, I'll jump in as, as it pertains to certain conversations here. But again, this is, gonna, this is mostly Arjun's thing, and you know, we're just here to uh, make sure we have a great time you know, talking about some, some specific data here. So uh is your you want me to start sharing the screen yeah yeah All okay right. we can see the graph yep it's up there okay so i just wanted to first start off kind of breaking down this game from a fundamental perspective and like where both teams stand so you know i i've been pretty impressed with the raiders offense for most of the season um they haven't had renfro they haven't had waller yet they, they're still performing at i think at, at least a top 12 level um when you adjust teams, you know, team efficiency via EPA by opponent, you can see that the Chargers and Raiders kind of fall on the same diagonal, meaning they're in the same, you can say, tier of teams. So right now, I would definitely put the Chargers and Raiders in possible contender or possible playoff contenders uh, in that tier, even though the Raiders aren't going to make the playoffs. Um, I think the Chargers defense is a little bit better than the Raiders defense and the Raiders offense is has shown to be just a little bit better than the Chargers offense for for different reasons because I think Josh Jacobs has been tremendous this year but from a fundamental perspective of this game um, I think it's honestly two evenly matched teams and I was checking the the Vegas lines earlier today and at a bunch of you know sports books the Raiders are now favored by one point which kind of tells mm-hmm. you what you need to know about you know how the sharp people see this you know, matchup playing out that the Raiders and the Chargers are pretty much equals in this game. Yeah, I definitely don't think this is going to be an easy game by by any means. I've seen a lot of people saying that, you know, oh, the Raiders are four and seven. Like this is this is a bad team and not to say that they're a good team or anything, but um, this is not a game that the Chargers should be taking lightly. And like you mentioned, you know, this offense that Josh McDaniels has put together is still performing at a pretty high level despite not having Waller despite not having Hunter Renfro for most of the yeah. season. So, um, you know, they, it really was those like three losses where they were up by 17. That's really what has uh, done them in so far this year. Yeah. 
I, I totally agree. And their one score luck has kind of rebounded a little bit in recent weeks. So I'm hoping that doesn't, re, you know, rebound this week <laughs> because, I mean, we already know this game is going to be either won by like three or three, four, seven or two points, something like that. So, yeah, it's going to come down to the wire for sure. But, yeah, to to kind of get into the game plan as I've put together every week, um, you know, we'll start with the pass rush for the Raiders. Obviously, we know Max Crosby's one of the best in the league. But after that, you know, you see kind of a significant drop off to Chandler Jones. And in terms of how uh, Patrick Graham likes to structure his defense, he doesn't, you know, really send more than four pass rushers at a given time. The Raiders are below average in terms of their average number of pass rushers sent. And they do blitz slightly above average, but it's nothing like too crazy where it's like out of the out of the norm. So um, you should expect a pretty like straightforward game plan. And if. Corey Lindsley and Trey Pipkins are out. I would expect the Raiders to be kind of conservative. And like, I think they would believe that they can win with four instead of like five or six. As they should with uh, Max Crosby out there for sure. Yeah. Um, You know, moving on just the kind of distribution of how the Raiders uh, align their men in the box. So they love running six man boxes, which is kind of a staple of the Brandon Staley scheme. They do go a little bit heavier at times, which is why I think they've, been a little bit better against the run than I expected even with their kind of like below average interior defensive line they like to stack the box a little bit part of that is also them kind of playing from behind sometimes even though they've blown a couple of leads this game so it's kind of like a standard distribution of defenders in the box Um, and then kind of going to the offense so you can see the Raiders uh, run 11 personnel about 67.25 percent of the time but the key thing is they run uh, 21 personnel at one of the highest rates in the NFL. They're definitely like top five, top six. And they love to use Jakob Johnson in that fullback role, which mm-hmm. has kind of scared me in recent weeks because especially against the Seahawks, they were coming out in that 21 personnel look a lot. Uh, and especially to ice the game in overtime, that's how Jacobs got the game winning run. And I'm, um, you know, if Jakob Johnson is hitting the second level to match up with Kenneth Murray, I mean, I kind of already picture how that's going to play out. Yeah, so you'll see the Raiders do a lot of this, I'm sure, on Sunday. But they love to do ISO lead, just you know, the classic Madden play that everybody knows. But yeah, um, they're going to target Kenneth Murray at, at a very high level. You know that Josh McDaniels loves to target weaknesses of defenses. So uh, expect to see a lot of Jakob Johnson blocking Kenneth Murray on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to like call for benching this late in the year, and I, I mean, I. Obviously, Staley's going to do what he does. I, I would love to see Troy Reuter kind of be in this game more. I would say a little more physical than Murray. And even even if Murray has the kind of athleticism and the strength, I think just like the way he fits the run sometimes, it's kind of just crashing into blockers with no uh, intent to make a tackle. While Reuter, I think in limited snaps, has kind of shown that you know he is a little bit more physical. And when he came in... Um, in the game versus the Chiefs, I think he was he made you know a couple big stops through the air yeah. and on the ground. Yeah, I thought Reader was fantastic in that game. Obviously, had the pass breakup as well, but um, I would love to see them just kind of mix up the looks a little bit more. And this is something yeah. that Tyler talked about as well. Just uh, bring more bodies into this unit, and, and maybe this is a, a good opportunity to allow Calvin Noy to play some linebacker a little bit more often, but. Um, you know, this is a game where I think the Chargers have to be a little bit more multiple up front than they're used to being against this kind of rushing attack. Yeah, um, I agree. Okay, 
Um, going into like how the Raiders have performed out of each personnel package. So uh, I, I, it's been a couple of oh, too much. It's been a couple of weeks, but again, pass rate over expected basically is saying given the game situation, given the point differential, the down the distance, um, what is the expect like what would we expect the rate at risk at which the Raiders to pass and how much do they actually pass? So you can see out of 12 personnel, they've passed about 25% more than expected. But out of 11 personnel, they kind of like do what is expected. So they mix up run and pass very well. And again, like they've run 11 personnel about 67% of the time, as I just outlined. Um, but their best performing personnel has been 12 personnel. Um, they've done pretty well out of 21 personnel. But the thing is, like, we know they're going to run the ball. They pass the ball 15% less than expect expectation when they yeah. come out in 21 personnel. So like there are telling signs in this game for the Chargers to like stack the box, which is not a staple of the Brandon Sealy defense, but knowing when the Raiders are going to run the ball. And if they don't run the ball, it's most likely a play action, you know, deep shot. So I, I hope that kind of Chargers are prepared for that and like kind of had te techniques coached for the corners to kind of, you know, adjust for play action, but also be able to fit the run when the Raiders come out in this personnel. Yeah, you know, minus 15% over expected. That's a huge number. So, yeah. uh, you know, this is this is great stuff. Obviously, you know, that the, the casual fan in us, we don't understand the, these kind of rates. So, um, you know, if you see Jakob Johnson out there, like the, the Raiders are clearly telling everybody, hey, we're going to run the football right now. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think I, uh, if you want to have this number, you can DM me or something on Twitter. I'm pretty sure if, if it's not a run, it's most likely a play action, like the percentage of passes out of 21 per, uh 21 personnel that our play action passes is probably above 50 but um, i'm not going to get too specific into that because i just i don't have those numbers in front of me um looking at like the raiders personnel um it's kind of been all over the place especially given that renfro and waller have been out so like they haven't run a ton of 12 personnel this year because moreau and waller haven't played that much together but yeah um yeah, I mean, Jakob Johnson is the 12 personnel fullback. And then Jacobs has obviously kind of carried the load of this year. I think the Raiders are kind of making the full use of his rookie contract. And then I don't really know what they're going to do with him next year, but they're feeding him a lot and he's been playing a ton of snaps. Um, Amir Abdullah is the kind of like RB2. And then I guess Brandon Bolden will come in here and there. Adams and Hollins are wide receiver one and two. Um, it's It's basically a pretty straightforward uh offensive unit we know who's going to be playing and we know you know the, the key guys to stop are josh jacobs and Devontae adams yeah absolutely not a whole lot of variance in the lineups there agreed um going into uh the offensive formation again i formation they pass the ball 22 percent less than expected so when you <laughs> see Jakob johnson and they're in i formation it's most likely a run it's not always a run but it's most likely a run um, and weirdly enough, that is their best performing uh, formation package. So uh, when they're in I formation, they've run 176 plays and they average 0.112 EPA per play. Um, out of shotgun, which is their most used offensive formation, they pass the ball 6% more than expected, average about a 0.01 EPA per play, which isn't that great. So they've had, a, they've had their most success running plays from under center whether it is a run or a pass but when they do line up under center whether it is single back or i formation they pass the ball at least 12 percent less than expected man that's uh that's just such a big difference yeah 
Um, man, that's, uh, that's huge. Obviously, you know, the chargers, I would assume have some kind of similar information here. And it's just, it, it's such an important advantage here that, you know, these personnel tips can give teams and defenses and, and particular, you know, that's struggling to stop what these personnel packages are designed around. So, uh, you know, I would expect Brandon Staley to be pretty keyed in on, uh, matching heavy packages with Jakob Johnson on the field on Sunday afternoon. 100%. And I'd be very surprised if the Chargers are not kind of like looking at these like expectations or just the raw run pass splits out of formations. That would be a real shame if the analytics team over there isn't looking. at. Yeah, that. I mean, and, and Brendan Staley has talked about, I, I, I want to say it was like the week before the season when people were still obviously associating him with so heavily with analytics. And, and you know, he was talking, I think it was might have been with Daniel Popper that he was saying, like, if Asante Samuel Jr. knows that out of this personnel package, they're going to pass this this kind of route on this percentage of plays like that absolutely matters. Yeah. And obviously this is a, a different kind of, you know, more based out around the formation. But, um, you know, we know that they have this kind of information and use it pretty heavily, at least from what we've heard from Brandon Staley directly. Yeah, no, I'm glad. I'm glad they're doing that. Um, moving on to that's too much. The Raiders and like their passing game. So this is how they've performed throwing the ball to each part of the field. So, you know, Derek Carr does a pretty good job throwing it to all parts of the field. He does he does throw it right versus left at about an equal amount and over the middle. And he's I mean, he's really efficient throwing the ball over the middle of the field, as most quarterbacks are um, in the intermediate part of the field. He's averaging uh, 0.601 EPA per play throwing over the middle and throwing intermediate to the left 0.672. I'm assuming most of this is to Devontae Adams. Um, yeah. But he do, he has struggled a lot throwing deep, where he's averaging a negative 0.798 EPA per play. Um, I, I'm assuming a lot of that is just throwing an interception or something. But he struggled. So weirdly, I don't know if it's weird, but he struggled throwing the ball left. But he does it at pretty much an equal amount as throwing the ball right. So some interesting, I think, splits here um, for Derek Carr. But he's, it's not like he's a one-dimensional quarterback like Russell Wilson or something where he only targets one part of the, one part of the field for the entirety of the game. Yeah, pretty even splits, in, and especially in the intermediate parts. I think that's really where Derek Carr really wants to live is that range, you know, 10 to 15 yards. Yeah. And to me, that, that indicates a, a strong play-action approach from the Raiders as well. Yeah, I, and that's why I've been more impressed with Josh McDaniels as a play caller uh this season just because i think he's leaning into the play action and just the strength of that offense more and more um just going into you know the raiders receiver receiving options we kind of know like we kind of know this already but Devontae and matt collins have been tremendous or at least Devontae has been tremendous and that's what i was expecting matt collins has pretty much um added 40 points to the raiders on targets alone he actually has a higher epa per target so when Derek Carr targets him, he he adds more points on average than Devontae Adams. I think part of that is also because he has half the number of targets and he's not facing the number one cornerback. But it is interesting to see like Matt Collins be like this efficient when that's not something that most of us would I think expect heading into this year. Yeah, I remember when like the perception of when the Raiders signed him, it wasn't like anybody was really expecting him to even be like a wide receiver three. I think people were still kind of expecting. Um, you know, some of their younger guys, of course, Brian Edwards, uh, you know, Chargers fans and Tyron Johnson, everybody was kind of expecting those guys to be yeah. wide receiver three, wide receiver two, obviously Hunter Renfro being hurt doesn't help much, but, 
Uh, Matt Collins has definitely exceeded expectations there in Las Vegas. I, yeah, I, uh, I agree. And I'm, I think, do you, so I remember in week one, um, we were, I think I was saying like, you want to put, uh, Asante on, or do you think like in this case, the chargers will run back the game plan where it's mostly Asante guarding Devontae Adams, where he kind of got torched. He did have the interception, but you know, for the most part, he didn't have that great of a game. Or do you think they maybe stuck Michael Davis on him like they did with him against D hop last weekend? I think you have to give him some different looks. And I think that's something that they did a lot. They've done a, lot, a pretty good job with even, um, you know, I didn't agree with how much they use Asante Samuel Jr. against uh, Travis Kelsey, but you know, yeah. they're, they're not just going to shadow at this point with this group. So, you know, I, I think we'll see a bunch of, of everybody on Devonte Adams this week, including, you know, some reps with their James. I think that's, yeah. you know, they've, they've shown a, a willing, a greater willingness this year to, to allow Derwin opportunities against number one receivers. I mean, obviously he had the interception against DeAndre Hopkins last week, but I would expect it to be more varied than, than the first time around. And obviously that, that should be the case. I mean, we were talking on our show yesterday and it's like the expectation of Asante playing Devante in that week one matchup. It's like, you know, you expect Asante to take some lumps yeah. Um, and he battled, he had some really good moments, but it's like, you, you probably shouldn't do that same thing again. Yeah. No, I agree. And I'm pretty sure Derwin was matched up on like a third and four, third and three or at some point in week one against Devontae and yeah. held his own pretty well. On the fi- I think on the final drive, they gave him like three or four reps. And uh, I would love to see them do that early in the game as well and create create some more advantages. I agree. Okay, moving to the Raiders run game, which I think this is uh, pretty telling. So the Raiders are a very, very good run offense running to the right side of their offensive line. So they average a positive EPA per rush on in every run gap running to the right side of the offensive line. So this is Andre James. uh, I I think it's Dylan Parham. Dylan Parham. Yeah. At right guard. And then tackle is. It's it's been a Luminor recently. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So again, that's, you know, Steven got it for me. So, um, it's been interesting. I think part of this might be skewed by the huge 80-yard run against uh, the Seahawks, which I believe was running to the right. But, I mean, even then, one rush out of, you know, 60 or 70 rushes is is, is not going to skew the data that much, and, and it's only applying to one one gap. So, you know, Raiders have been tremendously eff- effective running the ball right. Haven't been that great running it left, especially outside the tackle, which is weird because that's where Colton Miller is. Running outside yeah. the left end has been their worst run gap of the three. But, you know, running right has been pretty good for them. And then just to compare to the Chargers defense, uh, when teams run right against the Chargers, it's worked very, very well. Which is mm, not that, that great. Is ugly. That's yeah. ugly. And part of that is also just it's it's mostly the run against run away from Khalil Mack game plan, right? So it's kind of like picking the lesser of two evils. Like I think like in this case, if you're the Chargers, you pro if you see that the Raiders are this good like this uh this good running the ball right you might honestly want to line up Khalil Mack on the right side of against like the right tackle who is the weaker link anyway and then try to force them to run it to Colton Miller's side is more of a athletic pass protector right and and that and force them to kind of run to their weakness instead of run to their strength so this is definitely a little bit of a concern for me given that the Raiders strength is our weakness but I think it's definitely counterable if you know, they have the right game plan for it. 
Yeah, that's an easy tendency to break. And they, they flip Khalil a decent amount. But um, yeah, I think this week, you and, and especially in heavy packages, I'm putting Khalil Mack on the right side. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and staying on the theme of the run game. So um, this was something I posted earlier today, um, mm-hmm. looking at the idea of perfectly blocked run. So for the, our listeners who don't know, perfectly blocked run is when every offensive lineman on the play receives a grade of zero, which is neutral that they did their job, or better, which is a positive grade. If and that's considered a perfectly blocked run. If any offensive lineman on a play receives a negative grade, it's considered a negatively blocked run. So the Chargers and Raiders are pretty similar where their offensive lines do not perfectly block run do not perfectly block runs above the league average. But both defenses, weirdly enough, especially for the Chargers' sake, have been pretty good at preventing perfectly blocked runs. But for the Chargers case, their run defense sucks because they can't tackle in the second level. So <laughs> um, yeah. it's, it also goes to show like Josh Jacobs isn't getting a ton of help from his offensive line, e- even though this graph kind of shows they've been very good, very efficient running the ball. Right. I would argue most of that's actually Jacobs doing um, instead of the offensive lines doing. And if you use like rushing yards over expected, which is a, you know, kind of putting an expectation on how many rushing yards we'd expect a rush runner to get versus how many they actually get. Jacob shows up very highly regard, uh, regardless of whatever model you like to use. So he's done a lot of the brunt work, I would say, instead of that um, offensive line. But you can kind of see that the Raiders offense line is, is not going to be that good. And the Chargers defensive line should have a little bit of success in the run game. It all comes down to whether or not they want to make a tackle against an injured running back that just got the ball 33 times a game. Yeah, I mean, to your point, you know, Josh Jacobs right now is second in the league in total yards after contact, but after Derrick Henry with 827, he's averaging 3.83 yards after contact per attempt. Uh, Also second, only trailing Tony Pollard. Uh, So very different styles there. But, um, you know, Josh Jacobs having an incredible season and like you mentioned, you know, not getting a, a ton of help. So. You know, if you're able to really rally and tackle around Josh Jacobs, I think you could see the Chargers have a good amount of success this week on the ground. But mm. that's the that's the key, right? That they have not done a good enough job, and that's something Brandon Staley talked about on Monday when they're not when he was talking about them not having enough two on one advantages in the run game. So again, yeah. you know, if you're able to really you know get after it in a tackling perspective then you should be able to do a, have a pretty good job, a pretty good day against the uh, Raiders offense. But uh, that's much easier said than done against Josh Jacobs. Yeah. Um, the last kind of thing I wanted to touch on. Um, so we did talk earlier in the episode about play action. And, you know, the Chargers have actually been pretty good versus play action this year. They're actually pretty much a top 10 defense versus play action, well below the league average. They do allow a positive EPA per play, but so does, uh, you know, th- over 70% of the league. So even if the Raiders do have some success on the ground, I think that I still believe in the Chargers' ability to kind of stop play action. Um, I do get worried about Kenneth Murray kind of getting stuck in blocks, kind of overbiting on play action at times, which we've seen multiple times this year. But um, overall, like I, I'm, I don't think the Raiders' play action game will hurt the Chargers too much. And I honestly think that cornerbacks and safeties have kind of done a good job of, of um, not biting too hard in play action and kind of playing their role perfectly. Um, on the flip side, you know, the Raiders are also very, very good versus play action. They're actually the sixth best defense and one of the few defenses to um, force offenses to have a negative EPA per dropback versus play action. So I've been on the on the train that the Chargers should run a, 
way more play action, even if the run game hasn't been working this year. But um, I'm curious, like, do you have any thoughts to why the Raiders are this good versus play action, but just suck overall as a, as a pass <laughs> defense? I I would have to watch more of their games, but I don't. That's really curious to me because it's not like they have a, a great secondary, and their pass rush has been, like you mentioned, uh, not super successful. So uh, maybe they've been getting some interceptions. That that would be my only thing maybe. is that maybe Trayvon yeah. Merrick has, has gotten a few interceptions in play against play action, but. Uh, when you posted that earlier, I was definitely surprised that the Raiders ranked that highly as well. Yeah, because you look at the teams around them, it's like the Saints, the Commanders, the Bills, the Jets, like very some very good defenses. And then you have, you have the Raiders. <laughs> so that also means that they're terrible versus straight dropbacks. So that's probably something uh, or like non-play action dropbacks. So that's probably something the Chargers can lean into this game and kind of like exploit. So that was most of the stuff I had on the Raiders. Um, you know. Obviously, you know, we can look here just in, in general, like people will think Josh Jacobs has had a good year. He's had a great year. But even when the Raiders run the ball, they're actually they've actually lost points uh, when they've run the ball with them, even if it's super, super small. So it kind of just goes to show even if you have a great running back like Josh Jacobs, like running the ball is still way less efficient than passing. But you obviously need to run the ball at times. And honestly, like I think in the Cardinals game, the Chargers had some good runs mixed in at key moments. Um, I think you can agree with me there, especially since you're more of a proponent of running the ball than I am. I am. I am absolutely more of a proponent of running the football. But um, no, I mean, the Chargers had some good moments, like you mentioned, but it was like nine design rushes against the Cardinals, which uh, frankly is just it's just not enough with this kind of offensive line. That, yeah. That's my biggest thing with running the football is it makes things easier for your offensive line as well as your quarterback. And this week in particular against the Raiders, where you're talking about not having Corey Lindsley, not having Trey Pipkins. The Chargers have to do a much better job of, you know, lining up and making a difference in the run game. Cause if you're going to sit back there and ask Foster Serral to drop back and, and pass protect yeah. 65 times against Max Crosby, is it's just not going to go well. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think they, uh, you know, mixed in the runs well towards the end of the game, just to quickly kind of just touch on some key points for the Chargers offense. So yeah. in general, the offense, has really only performed well out of 11 personnel and 12 personnel. Um, when they've run 21 personnel, they average a negative 0.244 EPA per play, which is really bad. Uh, they don't really run a ton of 22 or 13 pers uh, personnel packages. So not really going to touch more on a ton of that. And when they do go heavy, like 22 or 13, they, they pass the ball way less than expected. But in any other formation that they've run a significant amount of plays um, out of, 21 11 and 12 they've passed the ball at least six percent more than expected which given you know that you have justin herbert i think that's that's fine um, yeah i mean joe lombardi has they've they've uh generally ranked pretty high in pass rate over expected with joe lombardi over the last two years yeah which which is again it's fine um looking just quickly at uh offensive formation mm -hmm. um so chargers have done very well out of empty averaging about a 0 0.19 EPA per play out of pistol, which they don't run a ton of. They've averaged 0.15 EPA per play, but they haven't done very well out of shotgun, which is weird. Um, it, it could just be this season because I'm pretty sure they were they ranked pretty well last year. And then out of eye formation, which I think I I think checks out per my eye test at least. They haven't yeah, been good at all. It's their worst uh, <laughs> offensive formation. Just some. First of all, I think they run the ball out of eye formation a, a decent amount, which you can see they they run the ball about two percent more more than expected. 
but also just in general, like out of eye formation, if you're running play action, like you want to get have receivers get to their spots quick since the defense will probably bite on play action or something, but just because of the lack of speed the Chargers have on offense, um, it's tough to really like make throws out of eye formation and, and Herbert's most likely having his back turn, expecting the receivers to break on their routes while, you know, because of the speed of the Chargers, they're kind of still running the routes. So have they haven't had a ton of success um, out of eye formation. Yeah, I remember early in the season, obviously Xander Horvath had those two touchdowns in like the first two games and uh, you know, the EPA per play here, the I formation was much higher and obviously, you know, they haven't yeah. scored any touchdowns out of it. So it's been, uh, you know, yeah. kind of tanked their uh, performance in that formation recently. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that's pretty much it. I, I think the lot, the only other thing we can look at is maybe like the Chargers rushing efficiency. So they've sure. done the, they've done very well running the ball between Corey Lindsley or Will Clapp and Zion Johnson. That's their highest performing uh, run gap in terms of EPA per play, but they've kind of struggled everywhere else. The only other gap they've done well is between Lindsley and Filer. So as you can see, the inside zone has been ver- inside zone or or counters have been working very well, but um, anything outside the tackles have has kind of failed miserably, and I, that's kind of just to be expected given that Rashawn Slater hasn't been playing for this year. Yeah, see, I, I went on a little bit of a rant yesterday about the whole Zion Johnson conversation. And see, this this graph right here is is visual <laughs> representation that I am not just blowing smoke out of my ass. Yeah. I mean, Zion Johnson has been awesome in the run game for the Chargers yeah. this year. And again, for the listeners, like guard, the, the college to pro transition for guards is one of the toughest of any position in the NFL. Like it's just that it's just very tough to go from you know, dominating against weaker interior defense alignment at the college level to going against like Linval Joseph yeah. on the interior, right? It's, it's just a very tough transition. And the expectations for year one should not be as high as like we'd, we'd expect for Zion just because just because Slater was dynamite from year one. So we got to have a little bit of patience, especially in the past game. You know, Chris Jones is going to take everyone's lunch money at some point in the season. Um, and, you know, while Zion has had some bad moments, I think he's also, you know, put up some good tape and, you know, the numbers kind of support that here. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like just in perspective, you know, Zion played in the ACC. It's not like he played in the SEC. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. the really the only team with comparable like into your defensive talent is going to be like Clemson. But, you know, he's going to go up against Pittsburgh and he's going to go up against even Notre Dame and, and have you know, a clear matchup advantage. And, you know, when he comes into the NFL, we're talking about Chris Jones and JJ Watt in back-to-back weeks. And next week he'll go up against Christian Wilkins and that crowd. And then Jeffrey Simmons and that crowd. So, uh, you know, we gotta, we gotta, gotta be a little bit, uh, patient with Zion Johnson, but he's doing, he's doing a great job overall. All right. I am that curious was, though. Yeah. yeah. No, that's, that's uh, all just I really, had, so. Okay. Sorry about that, but I am curious before we just to kind of wrap up here. Uh, what are you what are you doing with uh, Jamari Sawyer next year? I know that we're, we're kind of jumping the gun here, but, uh, you know, I've seen you kind of tweet about it a little bit. Where, what's your stance on what to do with Jamari? And then, of course, you know, uh, Trey Pipkins a little bit after that. Yeah, I think man, this is a tough question. I think like I, I really want to like just look at the Chargers cap situation and like I, I just want to evaluate the like the free agents that the Chargers have that could potentially be brought back because I would love for Trey Pipkins to stay on and we have Sawyer as a guard and you kind of just cut Filer and get some cap space back. But it's like it's tough to 
like we can expect Fowler to bounce back next year. Like I think like he's had a bad year this year, but he's also had great years before this. It's just a tough situation because you have six, I think, quality offensive linemen now with Slater in the fold if he's healthy. And I don't mind having that depth with Sawyer if he doesn't even start. Um, you could re-sign Pipkins to a three or four mil one-year deal or something and just have Sawyer as the swing tackle, which I think everyone would be happy with. He can play swing or the interior offensive line. But I think, if anything, that I would let Pipkins walk and you slide Sawyer to right tackle and go from there. Um, but you would also, I think, save more cap cutting Filer and putting Sawyer at guard. But I think you like the surplus value you would get on Sawyer if he started a tackle as a sixth, as a fifth round pick would be enormous. Like the, the Chargers yeah. would get a ton of value from that draft. It would be Telesco's most or highest surplus value of any draft pick in his career outside of Justin Herbert, which quarterbacks are always going to generate surplus value, especially if they're as elite as Herbert. So I would lean putting Sawyer at tackle, letting Pipkins walk. But it, it's a very tough decision, and I want—I just—I want to see how Pipkins fares for the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, it, it sucks that Pipkins has been so, you know, up and down with injury the last few weeks because I really thought that he was solidifying that spot. So, um, you know, uh, we got a super chat from Constellation asking about Chargers making the playoffs and their chances. Um, we'll go more in depth on that uh, on Saturday. I wanted to mention that for sure. Um, very much appreciate the super chat, but, um, you know, we're a little bit short on time tonight. So we'll, we'll, we'll dive into the chargers playoff chances, what those look like. And, you know, we can go over like five thirty eights model and things like that on Saturday when we have our Q and a, so, uh, Arjun appreciate the, uh, the time tonight, man. Any final thoughts before we head out for the evening? Yeah, I got to give the good people, the, the bets, the money, the money makers, which had been doing pretty well before we took a hiatus. So. Um, my favorite play for tonight for the Bills Patriots game starts in about 35 minutes. Josh Allen, longest rush over 15 and a half yards. Patriots love to play a lot of man coverage. DBs won't have their eyes on Allen, and he will be able to take off more often than, than not. I also like his over rushing yards, but I love the longest rush because it only takes one play. And I think yeah. the Patriots could key in on Allen in the designed rushing game. He's also gone over this five straight times against the Patriots <laughs> in the past two years. So it's always good when like those data points back uh, back the bet up. Um, in terms of the Sunday bets, love the Chiefs minus one and a half. If Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid lose three straight versus the Bengals, I will be very disappointed in them too. But I love them in that spot uh, in Cincinnati. And Jaguars minus one. That's that's my favorite play of the whole entire weekend. Um, if you go back and look at the Lions responding after an emotional loss last year under Dan Campbell, it's They've gotten blown out by like 20 in almost every game. So uh, <laughs> losing on a heartbreaker against the Bills and Jaguars coming off a hard-fought game, I think I do like the Jaguars, who are also the fundamentally better team um, in that matchup. So three bets, Josh Allen, longest rush over 15.5. I would take 16.5 also. Chiefs minus 1.5, Jaguars money line. Uh, Chargers nation, let's ride. <laughs> <laughs> let's go. I love it. I uh you know, I was kind of bummed, not going to lie, that the uh, the um, betting proposition in California did not pass. I was <laughs> thinking about, you know, dabbling in that a little bit more. But, you know, now it's just uh, not a thing. So, uh, Chargers fans, make sure, of course, to follow Arjun. You can get a lot of this uh, information 
on his Twitter page as well. Make sure and check out his work on PFF. You're doing, are you still doing the, um, the focus podcast on Sunday nights? Yeah. Forecast. So we'll be forecast, doing that excuse me. every Sunday night after Sunday night football. Yeah. Make sure and check that out uh as well so uh thanks everybody for tuning in tonight that's gonna do it like i mentioned we'll see you on saturday for our normal saturday show and as always bolt up everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why what do we know about magnesium well magnesium is the number one mineral that 75 percent of americans are deficient in if you are a woman over 35 magnesium will help you rediscover balance energy and vitality Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.